what is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. This week's guest is Bosch Rothman. Bosch is an LA-based drummer who's played with Kills Birds, Living Things, Blonde Shell, Kim Gordon, Courtney Love, Marissa Nadler, Allison Mossart, and many more. I was really excited to hear about the last one, Allison Mossart, because the Kills are one of my favorite bands. You can check out Bosch on the Allison Mossart track, I Don't Know. But anyways, I was turned on to Bosch because I subbed for the main live drummer of a band called Blonde Shell this past January and February. I think I mentioned that when I was doing it. And while Bosch doesn't normally play live with Blonde Shell, he did record the drums on her record. The record kicks ass, go check it out. But ever since that tour, I've wanted to get Bosch on the show. So we finally made it happen. And I'm grateful we did because he's a rad dude and a rad drummer and just rad guy. He looks cool in a leather jacket too. So you can check out his Instagram via the show notes. And he has a link to all the songs he's played on there. So go down his rabbit hole and keep your mind out of the gutter. I hope you enjoy the five records that shaped Bosch Rothman into the drummer he is today. Cheers. So, Bosch, for this list, what was your criteria for an album to make the running to become in this top five? Are we on now? We are on now. That's good, though. So you don't know, you can't distinguish between my podcast voice and my just casual voice, which makes me feel good. Right. The top five records I gave you was everything that I listened to when I was like between the ages of like four years old and like eight years old that really crafted my way to become a drummer and want to become a drummer. So th those are the records that I focused on. I mean, I can go endless. There's endless amounts of records that I can talk about with all the drummers that I love, but that was the records that got me into playing drums. Do you still listen to any of these today on an yeah, ongoing basis? All the time. I always learn something new every time I listen to like the White Album. I think that was one of the records I put on there, right? Mm -hmm. You ever notice how like you really can't tell the difference between Paul and Ringo I mean, I guess Ringo can definitely do all those drum fills, Paul can't, but it's just, I love that both of them are on that record. It makes it such a special record that both of them are playing. But yeah, all those records for me were, when I was a kid, that really just like, holy shit, I want to be a drummer. This is what I want to do. Especially the first record that I posted with Wild Thing. Like when I heard that, I was like maybe five years old. I was just like, oh my God, that's just what is that? Like, I want to do that, whatever that is. And it was just like, I was so focused on the drums. I have a funny story about that, but. Yeah, well, let's just go, but, but I, I want you to go into that story, but let's just say uh, the number one is, is Tone Loke, release here is 89. 
the key track is Wild Thing. You just mentioned it. And the album, I'm assuming his name's Tone Loke, so it's Loked After Dark. And I thought it was Tone Lock. And then I, Mike Dawson corrected me very uh, aggressively, Mike, I might add. And you said Drummer's Unknown, but um, and maybe you do know this, but that Tom Phil thing is actually a sample from Alex Van Halen. But um, yeah. take it away. Go ahead. Well, the first time I heard Wild Thing, like I said, I was immediately like, holy shit, what is that? I was like hooked to that song. And I remember my older brother had this rock band, like the summer of his like junior high or something. He had a rock band and they used to practice in our basement and his drummer had like this huge pearl 90s set with like eight toms and like 10 cymbals. It was massive. And I was always told, don't you touch that drum set. You know, cause I was younger brother, like don't touch the equipment. And I don't know what cracked in my head. I remember eating dinner with my family. And I'm just like, I don't give a shit. I went downstairs and I started playing that song. And like everyone like freaked out. My family was like, oh my God, Bosch can play drums. But like I wasn't supposed to like touch the equipment. But it was I, it's always in my mind that like I didn't give a hell. I went downstairs and I just started playing that song. And I was just like, this is all I want to do. <laughs> Who showed you that song? You know, it was probably... I mean, if you want to get real dorky here, it was probably because it was, it was in that movie Uncle Buck. That's definitely why. <laughs> uh, John Candy, right? John Candy is the best. That whole scene with him walking into the school with that song playing, I think that's why I got hooked on the drums. It was that, that whole moment was just so funny. <laughs> Let's play Wild Thing. Here we go. Let's do it. Comes, I go get live with the honey. Rolling down the street, I saw this girl when she was pumping. I winked my eyes, got into the ride, went to a club with jumping. Introduced myself as low, she said, You're a liar. I said, I got it going on, baby doll, and I'm a fire. Took her to the hotel, she said, You're the king, so be my queen if you know what I mean. And let's do the wild thing. All right, so we can move on to number two. And this, yeah. okay, I'm embarrassed about this album because I have never listened to this record all the way through. And it's, I was listening to it a little bit this morning and it's, I'm annoyed at myself. So no further ado, the album's Appetite for Destruction, one of the most iconic records of all time, and I'm ashamed, but it's the artist is Guns N' Roses, came out in 87, opening track, Welcome to the Jungle, one of the best album openers of all time. And, and yeah, Steven Adler, the drummer. So take it away. Okay, so Guns N' Roses was like everything to me when I was a child. My brother had Guns N' Roses live at the Ritz on VHS. This must have been for me like maybe 91. And I would set up my pots and pans, my mother's pot and pans, and I would just watch that every day and learn all those songs. And I just was obsessed with Steven Adler. Those drum parts, everything that he's doing on that record will last until the earth is gone. You know, it's just, it'll last into an eternity. That really like got me going to want to play like hard rock music. 
you know, it's funny that my parents would let me watch that at such a young age, too. They didn't care. I mean, I would set up my pots and pans, and I would play to that record, and that was probably the most important record and show, just seeing them visually on TV, that that, that completely changed my world. You know, that was one step further of wanting to become a drummer. Because, you know, as a kid, there's so many steps and so many things that you see and hear that gets you to be like, I want to do this professionally. And that was a big part of my life, Appetite for Destruction. What a great record. What a great drummer, Stephen Adler. Still is. Absolutely. Well, here we go. Here is uh, Welcome to the Jungle. Does he just say, oh, my God. Those drums, I mean, come on. They're just, I'm still trying to figure out how he does like those eighth note, core note, hi hat. So catchy. Wow. Have, have you ever seen them live, whether with Steven or not? I guess I saw Guns N' Roses play live twice. I got to open up for Guns N' Roses, but it was just Axel, you know, not of Slash and Duff. But that was really cool. I opened up with them in Vegas. And somewhere, I have a funny story about the Sweden. I think we we're in Sweden, somewhere like that. We opened up for Guns N' Roses, and Axel was late coming to the show, and people started taking the seats and tearing them off and throwing it at the stage. I thought a riot was going to break out. It was really weird. How, how late was Axel? Axel Rose was a good hour late. And I remember when we were playing our opening set, they were like, play more, play more. And we are like, fuck, we don't have any more songs to play. And this got off stage. And you're saying an hour, so that's not even probably including changeover. So it's probably like they were sitting there for like probably an hour and a half, hour, 40 minutes probably, right? It was a while. It was a long time. Oh, but it was just fine because like, I don't know, when you go to a Guns N' Roses show, you kind of want that wild energy. So it was kind of enjoyable. <laughs> were you able to be side stage like when he, because sometimes, you know, they're like, no one can be near it. But were you able to be side stage when he finally walked on? I mean, what was his like, was he like pissed off or what was the vibe as he was walking on? Am I like a badass? I'm just fucking saying, no, I, I wanted to be in the audience for that. I had to see the whole show from the audience. I had to experience it. <laughs> what do they open the show with? Welcome to the jungle, of course. Yeah, I just saw I just saw the Killers live two weeks ago. Cannons opened up for the Killers. It was it was actually one of the coolest shows ever. It was us, Death Cab, 
Flaming Lips and then The Killers. It was, I was so counting my blessings because those are all bands I wanted to see live. And yeah, The Killers opened up with Mr. Brightside just to get it out of the way. And it was just like such a cool moment because all the anticipation and then to hear that opening guitar riff, it was just, oh God. Anyways, not to take away from Steven, but. I mean, another great drummer. He's an amazing drummer. He just, I don't know, he, whatever he's doing back there, he's just so, I don't know what you call it. Help me out. I call it very like theatrical. He's like punk rock meets Broadway meets new wave. Yeah. Hey y'all, I wanted to, <laughs> I can't say, I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his, his, you know, where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum. And it was, it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful. And he actually let me use it on an Eve 6 tour and I didn't keep it and I regretted it ever since then just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time and I just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye um all right well Let's go on to number three. So yeah, we did kind of talk about this, but it's the White Album, which if people don't know, that's when the Beatles were kind of in their weird little mode. They were all writing separately. So this album is a very congruous album, but also a very non-congruent album. And because they were writing separately, Paul played drums on some of his songs. And so it's it's all over the place, but I think it's also um, one of the best if not the best Beatles record. It's so cool. Uh, as of course, the Beatles released in 1968. Uh, key tracks, and I agree with you, all of them. So the drummer was, like I just said, Ringo Starr and Paul McCartney. So take it away, and then we'll listen to a song. You know, I, I brought the White Album, I think I was like at Walmart or Target. My dad brought it for me, and that was the first Beatles record I ever brought, actually. Mm. And the whole reason why I, I got a Beatles record is it's funny how every drummer, doesn't matter what generation you are, has this experience. The minute you see Ringo Starr, a clip of Ringo Starr playing Ed, on Ed Sullivan, you're hooked. That just, that's for every drummer around the world. It doesn't matter if you're born, if you're there in the 60s, 70s, 80s, or 2000s. So the minute I saw that, I was like, what the fuck? I was just in love with Ringo Starr, and I my dad brought me the, the White Album, and that was the first record, and then I was... That started my obsessive journey of the Beatles 
and I brought every record and got super deep and was totally obsessed with them. But I think Helter Skelter was the song for me. I couldn't believe that a band from the 60s were like rocking in that way. Cause like, you know, I'm a 90s kid listening to rock and roll. And then you hear like the 60s band doing it. And I was just like blown away. And that was my deep dive into the Beatles. And Ringo's just the best. I mean, he's the best drummer. I'm not going to disagree with you. <laughs> yeah. Everything. He just does everything right. You know, he, he, he doesn't play the drums in a wrong way. Every time he, he hits the right drum in the, in the appropriate time of the song, he's the best. And from what I've heard, it's not like he analyzes the music in some unique way. He really just, it's just whatever he's feeling. And it's like, you try and, I've heard so many interviewers trying to ask him and dissect him, like, how do you come up with these? He really is just like such a fleeting thing for him. And that's, it's, that's what makes it even cooler. He's definitely a songwriting drummer and he plays the vocals. And that's something I do a lot too. When I listen to a track, if I'm in a studio situation, I'm first hearing the song, I always just start playing to the vocals and you know, drumming that way. And I think that's always the easiest way to get a track done. And that's something that Ringo did. And he kind of taught me that. And my ears also go to the singer. He's really good. <laughs> yeah, on this record, Birthday was one of the first songs I heard of them. And his drum solo is just daku, 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 for like 16 bars or eight bars, whatever. And it's the perfect drum solo. I, nothing else would fit in that in that part. No. And it's funny because when I hear people play Beatles songs and I think, God, if it was recorded that way, it would not be good. Because a lot of people that play Beatles songs kind of overplay it. And I don't know if I should mention this. I know this is kind of funny, but... Please do. List, Give me the juice. <laughs> when he watched that Ringo clip of Dave Grohl and all those drummers, um, Max Weinberg talking about Ringo Starr, and then Max Weinberg plays Ticket to Ride, I, I always crack up he's playing it wrong. <laughs> and it, it always makes me mad. Like, no, you're completely playing Ticket to Ride wrong. It's not a big deal. Max Weinberg, come on. He's God. But I always just crack up because that's how crazy obsessive I am about Ringo Starr. Like, I know all his parts like perfectly because I just that's how I was trained as a drummer. <laughs> Absolutely. And Ticket to Ride is probably on one of my favorite uh, Beatle albums, which is Help. And I love the sound of the drums in that record. His That's my favorite Ringo snare sound, that cracked Ludwig uh, festival snare. It just it sounds so good. Um so yeah, thanks for bringing that up because I I would always love to talk about help. But let's just listen to Helter Skelter. You ain't no 
Can you imagine if the Beatles got along during that period? I don't think Helter Skelter would have sounded that badass and raw. Like, the greatest bands that make the greatest records have arguments and fights and have friction. Like, you can just hear the friction in that track of just, like, you know, Ringo quit the band in that period, and, you can, and then he came back to do this. You can just hear, like, he's like, I'm going to yeah, tell it these guys. I'm going to rock out and be the best. Like, just, like, that drive that everyone has of, like, egoness and and piss offness like if they all got along it'd be so boring that's like one thing i do when i go in the studio sessions i try in my head to fake myself that like i've been on tour with this person for like 10 years because i want i don't want to play like a studio session i want to like a studio drummer i want to play like we've been in the band for 10 years because i think that always comes off better off record than like here i am mr slick session guy i don't want to like ever sound like that i want to sound like that like helter skelter like especially doing a rock you know a rock track hey whatever gets you there man it's working speaking of your your session stuff that's actually how i was turned on to you was i was lucky enough to play your parts on a tour that i was subbing for blonde shell sabrina tiedelbaum yeah. could you talk a little bit about how that game i mean i know uh it's your brother right is the one who produced it my brother eves rothman produced it yeah and it was great that was the first whole record i did where you walked into the studio and all the songs were written and then there was a very clear blueprint of the drums a very like sketchy blueprint and was really fun i guess what was really fun about that session is like you had to learn the song that day that moment and then go do what you feel is best to make the song come alive from like you know program drums and i'm always thinking ahead of myself like opening the hi-hat a little bit. There's a lot of like little open hi-hats and a lot of quirks. I'm like, okay, I got to make this interesting. So that was fun, like off the cuff, like really fast. Like what can I do to make this track more interesting? She's amazing. She sang with us through that whole entire session for every take. And I swear, she has like perfect pitch. It, it blew my mind. Sabrina is amazing. That was a really fun record to make at Sunset Sound. What a great legendary studio. I had a ball writing drum parts and you know, enhancing the songs, making them better for the drums. And I don't know, that was a lot of fun. That was a three-day process. And we had Sam Stort on the guitar. And he, you know, his dad is um, Dave Stort from the Rhythmics. That's really cool. So he has that blood in him. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. I Being the younger brother and your older brother is the producer, I can't give him a hard time because as a session drummer, you got to listen to the producer all the time. You know what I mean? Mm. And that's a good session drummer. There's so many times I just want to be, God, you're just so wrong right now. But you can't do the guy be professional. But it was fun. It was a lot of fun to do that record. And I'm looking forward to doing more records with her, hopefully. Yeah. And uh, she's killing it. She's on tour right now. Uh, this this will be coming out pretty soon. So I think she'll still be on tour. Look up Blonde Shell and check out the record. Uh, Bosch killed it. Um, Thank you. And yeah, man, it was really, really fun to play those parts. And yeah, I agree. Sabrina's awesome. So let's go to number four. The album is The Doors, the artist is The Doors, and the, the key track is Break On Through, and yeah, Mr. John Densmore. So take it away, and then we'll listen to some Break On Through. I love The Doors. I think I got hooked on The Doors from The Doors movie that came out with uh, Bill Kilmer. So that just got me really inspired. And I used to go to Blockbuster, <laughs> if anyone remembers Blockbuster, and I would rent The Doors live at the Hollywood Bowl on tape. And I would just watch that over and over and over and rent it 
literally like every weekend I'd be renting that for a year. I did that. And I was obsessed with John Densmore. His drumming is just so, what can I say? You can just start playing break on through and you just know how great he is. Like he, he blew me away and he was a very big inspiration to me. It's crazy that Blockbuster sold a, like the, that, that seems like it'd be a deep cut for Blockbuster to just have. Yeah. Now you can rent all those, all those movies. It was cool. All right. Well, here's, here's break on through. You know the day destroys the night Night divides the day Try to run, try to hide Break on through to the other side Break on through to the other side Break on through to the other side, yeah We chased our pleasures here Dug our treasures there But can we still recall curious if if he made that bossa nova da 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 after jim did that everybody da 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 or if jim was going off with this what the snare was or the you know the clave pattern was doing what came first chicken or the egg that's definitely a prime example of the drummer going with the vocal i think jim was doing that scatty kind of part singing part and John Densmore just laid right into it. It's so interesting listening to these musicians. Also, that was recorded at Sunset Sound. But like the best albums are musicians just playing together in a room. They really are truly just the best. It just sounds so exciting, like listening to Helter, Helter Skelter and Break On Through. Like you can't make that up. I, I get so worried sometimes with especially rock bands who like maybe sit with a producer on Pro Tools and make and, you know, designing all the music in Pro Tools. I, I kind of wish people would go back into like getting a musician together in a room and hashing out the songs. So I feel like the way that comes off record is just so much more exciting. And like listening to all these bands, you can just hear the excitement in the room of like they've been jamming for like two months. You know what I mean? When I was in Kills Birds, that's one thing that I loved is that you could sit in a room and jam around ideas and then go into the studio and just like record it. And I feel like that comes off on the record when you listen to it. But that's just a personal thing. I, I love that kind of stuff. John Densmore is like a paintbrush. Man, Ben, you should get him on this podcast. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll try. That would be amazing. He's one of the, you know, one of the greats. And yeah. he, I bet he has lots of interesting stories. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I would. <laughs> I'd be talking not at all that entire show. Um <laughs> All right. Well, we have a double a double duty drummer on this, which is awesome because this is a different style of drumming and uh, different different songwriter he's playing under. So this is Plastic Ono Ban, and the artist is John Lennon. The release here is seventy one. 
and the drummer's uh, Richard Starkey. So yeah, Ringo Starr, take it away, and then we'll listen to some some Plastic Ono band. That record inspires me with Ringo's drumming. Like I, I use that as a template when I do session drumming. Like just how you can go into a room with John Lennon, hear the songs for the first time, and then just lay it down. You know, lay down the drums, and it, Klaus was on bass. Forgot his last name, but I love Klaus. He's an old friend of John Lennon and the Beatles, and he actually did the design for um, Revolver. The bass like, player on this record is the one who designed Revolver. Yeah, Klaus Berman. I think that's that's his last name, I believe. Yeah, he was an old friend with them back in Hamburg with Astrid and that whole story with the Beatles in Hamburg. And he's a bass player, great bass player. He played on George Harrison's records. You know, they're good friends, but just. Them three in a room, John Lennon, Klaus, and Ringo, is just so inspiring. And those dead drums, you know, like just the way that super dead, you know, he has tea towels on his drums like he does, like in Let It Be and all those great records. And it's just, he just plays right with, again, right with the vocal. And that was a really inspiring record for me growing up. And I would listen to that all the time. And so going back to what I originally said, all these records that I posted or hearing with you is everything that I was listening to as a child that got me going to play drums and it's just a fabulous record and Ringo is the best again. <laughs> yeah. Timeless too. I mean, if you, if you approach a session with a Ringo feel, it will never feel dated. Never him. Ringo and Jim Keltner are just like a hot fudge Sunday. Like <laughs> <laughs> Ringo's the ice cream and then Jim Keltner is the hot fudge. <laughs> just go together. <laughs> <laughs> That's the quote of the podcast right there. Um, which 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 songs you want to play? Well, yeah, well, well, well. Well, 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 oh well, well, 
You know what? I, I am really sad that the Beatles broke up, but if they wouldn't have, I don't think John would have been able to do this kind of stuff. I was just thinking, like, he really, like, the story behind this record is like John really coming out of his shell and doing something that he loves and being very open in the studio, especially with all that screaming. And I think if Ringo wasn't there, he probably would be too shy to probably open up that much. And also, those drums, like, you can only play drums like that on a record if you know the guy for so long and been through hell with the guy. Because, like, if Alan White would have played it, who played on the Imagine record, his drums are very kind of simple, slick. But, like, Ringo's playing mean, like, yeah, I know this guy and I don't give a crap, but I'm just going to play into it and have fun. And you can just hear that on the record. That's what I love about musicians when they know each other and there's that friction. It makes the most amazing rhythm section. What a great vibe. And I know this has been said in the podcast before, but I'll say it again in case people haven't heard it. All those guys, they could have chosen anyone to play with. And the fact that they still chose to play with Ringo after the Beatles broke up shows how much anyone that's like, oh, Ringo's bad. You have no idea what you're talking about. These are the best songwriters in the world. Pick of the litter. Still want to work with this dude. I mean, yes, I know they work with other people later on, but still they were like, this is our guy. People who say Ringo is bad. I just can't take them seriously if they're like a drummer that say that because they just they don't understand. I want to teach them why they don't understand. I want to help them. But I, I think it's because when you have like a Led Zeppelin record, John Bonham's going crazy all the time. But just man, Ringo is the best. I hate when people say that he wasn't. It's confusing to me. It makes no sense and it's totally false. Um, all right. So that was your big fat five, but I did want to give you the opportunity to talk about H by Lawrence Rothman. So yeah, just go ahead. <laughs> What's really cool about that song is, so my, my brother Lawrence has a solo career, and he did that song at, man, I could be wrong, like Paramount, the studio across the street from Paramount Studios, I forgot the name of it, but it was like this legendary studio where the Beach Boys recorded. I think I think they just got rid of it. East West? No, it's not East West. I tracked there before. That's a great studio. But H was really special because I got to meet Jim Keltner on that session and watch him lay down those drums and all the little things I do with like the open hi-hats and the little fills. Like I, I learned from Jim, he's just one of the greatest uh, drummers and he played on with Ringo on George Harrison's all things must pass and played on John Lennon records. I mean, everything, his credits are enormous. He's one of the best him and Ringo are like the same person. The traveling Wilburys. He's basically the fifth member of them. He's a legend. So I got to watch him play the song H on that track. And it was just the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And I got to lay down drums on top of it with Jim Keltner. I couldn't stay for his stories, though. I had to leave, but I heard he had some really good stories, of course. Nice little straight hi hat thing. That's cool.
so when you listen to, I come in in the choruses. So when you listen to the chorus, you can hear that extra drums kind of get louder, the kick and snare. Mm-hmm. That's where I come in, and oh. it's just it be, kind of beefs up that that chorus part. And it was is he the best? Like I did that all over the the Blonde Shell record. All those little hi hat open things I just took from Jim Keltner. I was like, that's how you make those beats more interesting when they're so simple. And those fast little eighth note snare drum fills he does. I mean, actually, during the song, it gets he does a great drum fill in the middle of the song. It's just him by himself. And it's, I, I still can't even figure out that drum fill. He's just, that guy's magic. What a great drummer, Jim Keltner. Well, let's, uh, I want to hear this fill you're talking about. So let's just go back into it. And then we're about halfway through. So let's, let's, let's hear it if you don't mind. Yeah, it's a great fill. So cool. So I mean, that makes the whole song right there. It does. Doon to doon. Snare. Dun, dun, uh, <laughs> well, I also love it. I love it when drummers, he's implying, you know, it's kind of a, not new jack swing, but like a swung kind of swampiness. And then when he'll go, da, do, 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 da, 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 do, straight over swung. Just so I, I, I'm obsessed with that. That never gets old with me. If you do it just very sparingly, it's this tension. It's I love yeah. it. And there's it's just the way he just does those double notes on the snare. He's just mm-hmm. so it's so beautiful. It's like he's painting a painting a picture. He's just very magic drummer, very special. I actually went to Ringo's birthday party up at his peace statue, and he was there and he played drums. That was really cool. You met Ringo? Well, he was right next to me. I was just there as a fan, just watching. I was geeking out. I mean, if Ringo's going to be up the street, I'm going to go see him. So it was, he was, yeah, there was this, a, a statue of him in Beverly Hills where it was an open to the public thing and it was just for his birthday. Wow. Yeah. So every year he goes up there to his peace statue hand and he has his uh, birthday party. Uh, let's, let's go next time. When, when is his birthday? It's, it's, it was July 7th. Oh, damn it. Um, where was I July 7th? I actually think I was on a date. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> not, not a date, but I think I was on a gig. <laughs> No, we have to next next year. We have to go if you're town. It's really cool. One thousand percent, dude. Hell yeah, that's sick. Yeah, and, and going real quick, I want to add in. You know, of course, Dave Grohl is one of my other drum hero, and I did the first Living Things record specifically with Steve Albini because I wanted that Steve Albini and Utero sound, and I'm I'm happy I got to work with him when I was like 17 years old, and that was like the first time I was in a real studio and. I just wanted that great sound that only Albini can get, and I was just a huge fan of In Utero with Dave Grohl. And Which record um, of The Living Things was recorded in that studio? Ahead of the Lions. If you listen to, like, End Gospel, when those drums come in, you can just hear, like, that In Utero sound that Steve Albini can get. You know, he's just the master. I just wanted that so bad. <laughs> yeah. All right, here's End Gospel.
you remember uh, not to? Well, we'll get geeky. Do you remember anything specifically interesting about his the way he would mic things? That was like oh, I've never seen this before. Yes, he puts two room mics on the floor facing the drums, and then he delays them like twenty milliseconds. He puts PZM mics on the floor, and that's the that's his main trick to all those great drum sounds. Is, wow. is the way he mics. He's very particular about the mics that he uses. Of course, he uses the Coles mic, which I love. It's the just that you know, just the Coles by itself sounds awesome. When you just solo the Coles, it's all you need sometimes. Mm-hmm. The the way he sets up the room mics are really special, and that's how he gets that really great sound. And then at his studio in Chicago, it sounds like Pachyderm Studios, where in Euro, EJ Harvey, Rid of Me was all tracked at and if you listen to like rid of me and all those great records that he did there and the pixies record you can just hear those drums and so his room called kentucky in chicago is, is uh in studio a the drum room called kentucky he i i bet he had to design it to make it sound like pachyderm studios because when you hear my drums on end gospel you can just hear it sounds like pachyderm and that's kentucky sounds like that the kentucky room do you want to i mean I know this is some people's uh, least favorite part, but do you want to do some self-promotion? Do you want to turn people on to where they can find you, where they can work with you, see you, all that jazz? I think the best place to reach out to me is on Instagram. And my Instagram at Bosch Rothman, at Bosch Rothman. It shows all of my songs that I've worked on. I have a whole playlist of them. I just love playing drums. And Ben, thank you so much for for having me on this podcast you are also also a amazing drummer and i love the bands that you play in man we have to do another podcast i can do like 50 records dude come back on man it doesn't matter who comes on or how many times they come on people will take something away from it you know and also you know, i do want to mention one drummer on the podcast if i can actually go ahead larry london is an absolute amazing drummer and the song, you know, shotgun, that Motown song. And he played on that song with Benji Benjamin. Oh, Benji Benjamin. Come on. The best Motown. And he, he was just one of the greatest session drummers to ever live. And I'm going to give a shout out to, to him, to Larry London, because he's amazing. Is he still around? No, he passed away when he was like 45. He, mm. he, but he played on all the, you know, he played on the Motown records with Benji Benjamin and did so much session work for country records and just the list goes on. You should look him up. He's an amazing drummer. All right, man. Well, I'll let you go. But uh, yeah, man, this was so fun. And uh, yeah, let's let's hang soon, man. I would love to. You have a, a wonderful day. Enjoy your, when is today? Wednesday? It's Tuesday or else my podcast should have been out today. So I hope it's Tuesday. <laughs> And that's the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, so it'll get bigger and better, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing, so go check that out at Isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye.